This week's parsha, um, we learn about Avram Avinu. We continue learning about Avram. Um, more specifically, uh, we, we learn about Avram already settled in the land of Israel. So last week we we're talking about Avram as he's still, you know, he's still in a place of idolatry. He's still in Haran, and God tells him to leave. He comes to Israel. There's a famine. He goes out to Egypt. Goes back to Israel. Finally, after you know, after so much going on, God promises him to worry. This is going to be your land. Uh, he has war, right? He has war with the four kings who, who took his nephew Lot prisoner. Um, throughout that entire parish, he doesn't have any children. Finally, finally, at the end, God tells him, Don't worry, children are coming. They had to wait a very long time. In the meantime, you had Yishmol, um, and, and there was a lot of there was a lot of drama surrounding that. Uh, but in this week's parsha, it seems the thing that you know. Things are going very, very well for Avram. We learn how uh, he already has the bris. He's already uh, come into the covenant with God. So we can say he's, he's already a full-fledged Jew. And um, and now everything is about gearing up to have his son Yitzchak. And this should be the continuation of Avram's legacy, the continuation of the Jewish people. Um, on the way, Avram is, uh, is trying to save an entire... Uh, area, an entire population, the population of Sodom. Avram illustrates how, um, you know, even though they were so terrible, still he was trying to, trying, find, trying to find ways to save them. And finally, at the end of the parish, we learn about the Akedah, where God tells Avram Avinu to offer his son Yitzchak, his only son, as a sacrifice. And that was the 10th test. And Avram Avinu passed that test with flying colors. So this week's parasha, we learn about Avram Avinu uh, as, as truly the beginning of the Jewish nation. The first story of the parasha uh, seems to be quite simple. Um, a, a story of, of hachnasat orchim, of welcoming in guests, of having guests at home. But uh, it's not so simple. Nothing is as simple as it seems when you're reading the Torah. So let's go into the story, and we're going to uh, in Yiddish, we say chapon. We're going to grab on to a very specific detail of the story that might seem to be um, not that important, not so consequential, but in truth, it actually illustrates and it reveals something very powerful about Avram Avinu, us as Jews, and our relationship to our forefathers, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. All righty. So let's, uh, let's begin on page three. So just to give a certain uh, context to the time that this is all happening, Avram was 99 years old, and God commanded him to do a bris, a circumcision. And with this, he was coming into the covenant. His name originally was Avram, now it's Avraham. And our parsha, the story of our parsha, opens three days after Avram did the bris. Source number one. Now the Lord appeared to him, to Avram, in the plains of Mamre, Mamre is the name of a person. Uh, the reason uh, God's revelation to Avram specifically happened in the plains of Mamre, and the Torah makes mention of Mamre because Mamre was very helpful to Avram with regard to the circumcision to the to the bris. But anyway, so the Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, and he was sitting at the entrance of the tent when the day was hot. Well, what does this verse mean? Usually, if the day is hot, you don't sit outside. You sit inside with air conditioning. 
or at least in the shade, right? And here, the Torah is telling us that Avram, where was he sitting? Where did God reveal himself to him? While he was sitting at the entrance of the tent. And the day was very hot. So right away, Rashi comes to the rescue, and Rashi explains. When the day was hot, God took the sun out of its sheath so that as not to trouble Abraham with wayfarers. What's going on here? Avram had just had a bris. And traditionally, the third day after the bris is the most painful for the one who just received the bris. Now, God knew that Avram's day job and night job was welcoming the guests, serving them, taking care of them, etc. Now, he had just gone through a circumcision on the third day is in a lot of pain. God did not want Avram to be troubled with guests. So therefore, God ensured that it was a very, very hot day. When it's so hot in the desert, people choose not to travel. And because there are no travelers, there's no guests. But since he saw that Avram was troubled by the fact that no wayfarers were coming, he brought the angels to him in the guise of men. And so that's what Rashi explains. We continue in the verse. And he lifted his eyes and saw. And behold, three men were standing beside him. And he saw and he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent. And he prostrated himself to the ground. So now that we know that uh, these three men are not really men, they're three angels, and God had sent them, what's the first obvious question? Why three? If God wanted to provide a guest for Avram, let it be one. Why does it have to be three? Three angels. And it seems like it's three angels that God plans on sending anyway. But in order to appease Avram, in order to give him the opportunity to do the mitzvah of welcoming the guests, he sent them in the guise of men and not as regular angels. So why three? Rashi explains. One angel to bring the news of Yitzchak's birth to Sarah. One angel to overturn Sodom. And one angel to heal Avraham. Still you'll ask, why do you have to send three different ones? Why don't you send one with three different jobs? You ever, you ever ask someone to go to the kitchen and you say, please bring napkins, a cup, and an extra fork? Or do you have to send three people, one to get the napkins, one to get the forks, and one to get the cups? What's the deal here? So Ash explains. This was necessary because one angel cannot perform two errands. So it's one angel per errand, one to give the good news to Sarah, one to heal Avram, and one to destroy Sodom. Continuing in the verses in the Torah, and he said, Avram said, my masters, he's speaking to the angels, to who, I mean, for him, they're, they're, they don't look like angels now. They look like regular people. My masters, if only I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass on from beside your servant. Now, the word my masters, if you look in the Hebrew, vayomar, and he said, and he said, um, I'll, read, I'll read the entire verse, okay? Vayomar, adoinoi, ibno motosichem be'enecho, you may have noticed that the second word that I said is a word that we usually use to refer to God. Now, it's not a word that is exclusively used to refer to God. It could also be used uh, when speaking to another person and you're saying, my master or my masters. So one translation of this is that we say the Aleph Dalet Nun Yud over here, this word is actually not a holy word. It's not referring to God. It's referring to the, the 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 how do you say the master of the three now as Avram was looking towards um, when these three men came he saw that one of them looked like the leader 
of the group. So he addressed himself to the leader of the group. And if the leader of the group is going to agree to stop over and come into his house to eat, the rest of them will do that as well. That's one way of translating it. The other way of translating it is, no, that this word is actually referring to God. And that he was speaking to God. And Rashi explains, what was he telling God? Because if you, if you recall, how did the story open up? The Lord appeared to him. Right? So Avram was in the, in the entrance of the tent. He was waiting for guests. He wanted guests to come. They weren't coming. God was visiting him. And God felt bad that Avram did not have any visitors to, to offer them food and to take care of them, to host them. So he brought the three angels that were supposed to come anyway in the guise of men. When Avram saw them, he told God, who was busy visiting with him, God, Abraham told God to wait for him while he runs and brings in the wayfarers. Imagine such a thing. Imagine you're sitting in your study together with um, a very powerful person. Right? You're sitting together with the President of the United States in your study, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. Who's at the door? Some poor guy who wants to eat something. And you say, Mr. President, please wait here. Let me go and take care of the poor guy. What? And by the way, remember, Avram was not alone in the tent. He had plenty of servants. He had many students. He had a lot of people there. So imagine you're sitting in your study. The president is sitting with you. And you have, you have a staff. Not only do you have secretaries, but you have a whole staff of people. And the doorbell rings. And there's a poor person at the door. And you see through the, you know, the, the, the camera, you see that there's a poor person there. The guy that usually comes to eat lunch at your home because he has nowhere else to eat. And you say, Mr. President, please wait. I have, to, I have to go and welcome in my guest. You have to be totally crazy. But this is, this is the scenario. God is sitting with, Avram is sitting with God Almighty. Avram, God came to visit Avram because Avram was ill. He had just had this huge, this, this serious operation. And here, Avram stands up and he says, God, wait for me. I'll come back. Um... And he continues and he tells them, you know, on page four, please take a little water, bathe your feet and recline under the tree. Why bathe your feet? Rashi tells us bathe your feet because he thought they were Arabs. The Arabs in those days were heathens and they bowed to the dust on their feet. What type of people is he inviting into his home? Is he welcoming into his home? Heathens that are so low that they're able to worship the, the, the dust on their feet. And yet he puts God aside. And he goes and he takes care of the of these guests. And I will take a morsel of bread and sustain your hearts. Afterwards, you shall pass on because you have passed by your servant. And they said, so shall you do as you have spoken. All right. The men, the Arabs, agreed to come over to Avram. What's the big question that screams from this, from this story? Mm -hmm. I mean... What was that? If there was a three uh, angel, uh, so why they dress like a man? If they dress like people, why feed them if they're angel? And why make it so complicated? What should God have done instead? Amit is asking why they have to make it so complicated. Some angels and the guise of men. The reason he's saying, he's saying you should have just not tampered with the with the thermostat. Let yeah. the let the temperature as it is, and people should come. It's a good question. I don't know. And as initially, God, God was doing Avram a favor. He shouldn't be bothered with so many guests, right? He saw, oh, he's, he's more upset that he doesn't have guests, so therefore I'm going to send the angels that are supposed to come anyway, the guise of men, to give him the opportunity to do the mitzvah 
of Achnasat Rachim. So the Rebbe takes this this story and analyzes it from very from a very fascinating perspective. So let's let's hear the Rebbe's words. Page four. The beginning of the Torah portion relates, as Rashi explains it, based on the Medrash, that Avram excelled in hospitality. He excelled to the extent that there was a concern that he would ignore his medical condition and exert himself beyond his capabilities to accommodate guests. To prevent this, God removed the sun from its chief so that no guests would come. Right, so now that, that explains your question. God had to intervene. God had to make sure that Avram doesn't overwork himself. Right? It's a 99-year-old man who just had a bris. Then, because Avram was upset that no guests would come, God sent the angels to him in the guise of people. Meaning, now let, let, let's see, what does this mean? God altered nature so that angels should come to Avram, who was used to seeing angels in the guise of people. You know, you, you can ask a question to say, one second. We have all this tradition in Judaism that angels come and visit people in the guise of men, right? or women, or whatever, right? Eliyahu Hanavi. All the stories of Elijah the prophet coming and saving people, etc. He came looking as a person. Sometimes a man, sometimes a woman, old, young, Jewish, non-Jewish, all different guises that Eliyahu Hanavi is able to do. But you have to remember, who are these Who are these uh, angels coming to visit? They're coming to visit Avram. Avram would see angels all the time. The way we know this is because in last week's parasha, there's a whole story about Hagar, right? Hagar was the Egyptian princess whom Pharaoh gave to, to Sarah as a maidservant. And well, then she was called Sarai. And after being in Israel for 10 years and she did not have any children, so she suggested that Avram should marry Sarai and they'll have a child. And that child will be, like, you know, that will be uh, raised by Sarah by Sarai um, as her child. So she, um, so Avram married Hagar and she became pregnant right away. And that caused tension. Caused tension between Sarai and Hagar. I'm not going to get into all the details, but Hagar at one point ran away. Torah tells us she ran away. She was in the desert. And an angel came to her and asked her, Hagar, why are you here? She said, I run away from Sarai. And the other one said, and then another angel came to her and said, go back to Sarai and, and submit yourself to her, to her, uh, I, say, I don't want to call it the word abuse, but submit yourself to the hard work that it is to be with Sarai. And another angel came and said, you are going to have a child and you are going to call him Yishmael. She saw four angels. And she wasn't, uh, she wasn't frightened. She wasn't scared. It doesn't say that they came to her in the guise of men, in, in human guise. No, the angel came to Sarai, just like when the Torah says, an angel spoke to Abraham. It says, an angel spoke to Hagar. And Rashi explains, that tells us that Hagar, because she lived in Avram's home, she was accustomed to seeing angels. Angels were regulars in Avram's home. So for sure, for Avram himself to see an angel is no big deal. So for an angel to come and visit Avram in the guise of a human, that's completely unnecessary. Right? But God altered nature so that angels should come to Avram, who was used to seeing angels in the guise of people. Rashi reflects this in his precise language. Because Avram was upset, God sent the angels to him in the guise of people. The coming of angels wouldn't be something novel in and of itself. Angels had to come regardless. As Rashi comments on the next verse, that three angels were required, one to inform Sarah of the good news. One to overturn Sodom, and one to heal Avram. 
The novel element here was that the angels appeared in the guise of people so that Avram would think there are humans and fulfill the mitzvah of hospitality by caring for them. So when Avram was, didn't have any guests, it's not that God said, oh, you know what, I'll send them angels. No, he was sending angels anyway. But if angels would walk into Avram's tent, Avram wouldn't have the opportunity of achnasat orchim, of giving them food, of hosting them. That's not the way you host angels. Angels don't eat. Angels don't sleep. Angels aren't thirsty. They're not hot. Because God wanted to give Avram the opportunity to do the mitzvah of achnasat orchim, of welcoming the guests. So that's why he sent the angels as people. Okay, great. Very nice. The Talmud derives from this story the principle hosting guests is greater than receiving or welcoming the divine presence. Where do we see that? Because we see that Avram asked God to wait while he ran to welcome the guests. All right. Amazing story. First, God doesn't want Avram. God knows that Avram is such a wonderful host that he's going to ignore his medical condition and take care of guests. So God causes that no real guests should come. It's very hot. He sees that Avram is very upset that he doesn't have the opportunity to do the mitzvah. So God says, you know what? The three angels that are supposed to come anyway to visit Avram, I'm going to send them in the guise of guests. So you can do the mitzvah. Okay. And now we can learn from here the fact that Avram told God, wait here, I'm going to go and take care of my guests. And uh, and he goes and he runs out. And the guests don't look like some, some special people. They're the lowest of the low at the time. People that would bow to the dust on their feet. The Talmud derives from here, this is a principle in Judaism, that welcoming guests is even greater than Kabbalat Pnei Ashkenah, than welcoming and receiving the divine presence. All right, very nice. What's the problem? Here is, here's the problem. Did these angels actually eat? Did they eat? Do angels eat? So let's look at source two. Continues in the Torah. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah, and he said, hasten three sa'ah of meal and fine flour, knead and make cakes. Told her, make bread for the, for the what's it called? For the, for the guests. And to the cattle did Abraham run, and he took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to the youth, which was Ishmael, and he hastened to prepare it, so he slaughtered it. And he took cream and milk, and the calf that he had prepared, in fact, our sages explained that first he brought them dairy, and then he brought them meat. If you bring meat first, they can't have dairy afterwards. Abram kept the entire Torah. So he gave them dairy, and then afterwards he gave them meat, the calf that he had prepared, and he placed them before them, and he was standing over them under the tree, and they ate. So they were sitting under the tree under the shade and Avram was the waiter and he was standing there waiting to serve them. And they ate. That's what the Torah says, they ate. Comes Rashi. What's his obvious uh, problem? Since when do angels eat? Angels don't eat. Rashi says, and they ate. They appeared to be eating. They weren't really eating. It looked like they were eating. From here we learn that a person should not deviate from the local custom. Angels don't eat. But humans do eat. So if angels came to human, the human earth, to the human, uh, to the human domain, so over there they behave as if they are humans. This is the principle we learned. In Rome, be like the Romans, right? Okay. So were they eating? I don't know. 
so according to Rashi, they weren't really eating. They made as if they were eating. Tosafot says, the Seder Eliyahu Rabba, we learned, not like the one who says that they appeared to be eating and drinking, which is Rashi, but they were actually eating and drinking in Abraham's honor. Because they didn't need to eat and drink. But in honor of Avram, they ate and drank. Okay. So what's the problem here? Here's the issue. As Hamid said, what's this whole game about? I'd have to be so complicated. Page seven. Learning the story, this is the, the Rebbe's words. Learning the story on the simple level, it turns out that Avram didn't really fulfill the mitzvah of hospitality. Why? Because his guests weren't actually people, but angels. Angels don't need food, and they didn't actually eat. It only looked as if they were eating. That's according to Rashi. Even according to the opinion that the angels actually ate, which is Taisvis, this was only to honor Abraham. Or because of the rule, act like the locals. But angels don't actually need food. So feeding them wasn't real hospitality. So what's the problem? Turns out that Avram made a strategic mistake. God was visiting Avram and he ran to do the mitzvah of which wasn't really the mitzvah. How is that possible? How is it possible that God should cause that Avram should make such a terrible error? Right? We continue to his words. This raises a great question. How is it possible that God should conduct such a supernatural event for something that isn't real. Miracles happen for a purpose. Miracles happen for a concrete reason. They're not there just so that they can make people feel good. God was just sending him angels in the guise of people's on drum should feel good. And as a result, he's, he's stopping his meeting with God to go and play a game. What is this? Based on the above, it turns out that Avram really wasn't allowed to leave the God waiting because he didn't actually fulfill the mitzvah of hospitality. How is it possible for Avram to err with regard to receiving the divine presence? So you'll say, you made a mistake. No, you made a mistake. It doesn't work that way. With, regarding the Avot, regarding our patriarchs, we don't just say they made a mistake. Because there is a principle that if someone is truly a tzaddik, God ensures that they don't make a mistake. Definitely God doesn't set them up for a mistake. This was indeed, a, if this was indeed a mistake, what was it? Uh, I'm sorry. The Rebbe like this. You're right. He didn't, he didn't make that error on purpose. He was what we call shaking. It, it was a mistake. Yeah, this was indeed a mistake, but the verse states that no wrong shall be caused for the righteous, even unintentional. This is certainly true regarding people as holy as the patriarchs, about whom the sages say the patriarchs are God's chariot. You know what's so unique about a chariot? It's not, it doesn't go anywhere on its own. The chariot goes wherever the rider takes it, right? If your car goes to the right, it's because you turn the steering wheel, right? Well, unless it's not really a car. But if it's a real car, if it's a real chariot, if you turn the steering, it goes to the right, the left. Look. Who, who, in other words, who's riding the patriarchs? God. Whatever the patriarchs do is exactly how God wanted it to be done. So 
what's this whole game over here? How did this mistake happen? If we would be told that Abraham took charity funds and gave it to dishonest paupers, we would immediately ask, how could such a thing be said about Abraham? Even if it was just a mistake on his part. This is all the more true in our case, which is worse than dishonest paupers. At the end of the day, dishonest paupers are still poor. But in our case, there was no hospitality performed at all. It's not like he was hosting people that were already full. He was hosting imaginary people who don't need to eat. How can it be that the Torah is set up such that a true law, hosting guests is greater than receiving the divine presence, should be derived from a false story, an act that was factually speaking contrary to the law. Because as it turns out, Avram really should not have left his meeting with God. If it was real guests, if it was real hospitality, if it was a real mitzvah, fine. But it wasn't. They were angels. And not only was it possible for Avram to be to be to be caused to do to, to do such a, a mistake, even unintentionally, but this is where the Talmud learns the principle from. What's going on here? All right. So I'm sorry, so let's continue on page nine. To resolve this, we must conclude that even though the angels only appeared as people, nothing was lacking in Abraham's hospitality. Not only did he think he was fulfilling the mitzvah, he actually was. But how could that be? The mitzvah of Achnasat Rechim is that you should feed someone that's hungry. You should host someone that doesn't have where to be right now. You should take someone out of the heat, out of the sun. Bring him indoors. Bring him under a tree. How could it be that Avram actually did the mitzvah if what he was doing it with were angels who didn't need any of this? <clears throat> okay. So th this is a question which is um, it it's a very troubling legal question. Right? Like how could we derive such a principle that has some serious ramifications. Um, you know, it wasn't really mitzvah. Is it, is it a mitzvah? Like, how does this all work? In other words, what is the definition of hachnasat or chib? And the truth is that there is a definition. If someone needs food, bring them into your house and feed them. If someone needs a place to sleep, you bring them in, right? Hachnasat or chib only happens to people, not to angels. So what was Avraham doing? So in order to understand this, we have to dig a little bit deeper. And we have to go... Um, into the teachings of Chassidus that explain what is a mitzvah and actually when did mitzvahs really start? Anyone have an idea? When did mitzvahs really start? When did we become obligated to do mitzvahs? Whenever you see it. Whenever you think about it. No, you're right. You're right. You know, whenever you see a mitzvah, whenever you see an opportunity to do a mitzvah, fine, no problem. But historically speaking, when did the Jewish people become obligated in 613 mitzvot. When, when did this obligation begin? Rosh Chodesh. Rosh, you mean like the Rosh Chodesh Nisan before the Jewish people left Egypt? Or, mm -hmm. What do you mean Rosh Chodesh? Yes. Oh, okay. Very good. So Rosh Chodesh was the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people as they were about to leave Egypt. And yes, Josh, you're correct. This was like the first commandment that was given to them. Um, in truth, it was the first of the commandments, but it was all part of a preparation 
for Matan Torah, for the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. In other words, until Mount Sinai, they didn't like become officially obligated in all the mitzvot yet. Whatever happened before and from Rosh Chodesh until the 6th of Sivan, that was all part of like, a, it was as if Matan Torah was starting. That was like the beginning of the giving of the Torah, which basically concluded 50, if you're including Rosh Chodesh, so about, uh, let's say, 64 days later, this whole thing like came to a, a culmination, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now the Jews are obligated in mitzvahs. And halachically speaking, halacha uh, recognizes that up until the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Jews were not really Jews. The Jews were, in other words, halachically, they were the same as everyone else. At, at Mount Sinai, that's when the Jewish people went through an official conversion. In fact, the laws of conversion today, how to convert to Judaism, are derived from the process that the Jewish people went, underwent at Sinai. They all had a bris. They all went to the mikveh. They all had to accept upon themselves all of the mitzvot. They said, we're going to observe it all, we're going to learn it all. And they also brought sacrifices. In the times of the Holy Temple, in order for someone to convert to Judaism, part of the process was offering a sacrifice. In the absence of a, of a temple, the conversion is complete without a sacrifice. And when Mashiach will come, all those that converted to Judaism will bring a sacrifice. So the actual change between just being like all people and to becoming the Jewish nation, which is defined by their obligation of mitzvot, happened at the giving of the Torah. So now here comes the question, when did Abraham live? Abraham lived well before the giving of the Torah, right? Avram was, was not standing there at Matan Torah at the giving of the Torah. It was, it was long long before. And in fact, our, it, 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 you know, the Talmud explains, and this is explained at, at great length in Hasidus, that the mitzvahs that our forefathers did before the giving of the Torah were of an entirely different level than the mitzvahs that we do today. In fact, the expression used is, is that they were reichos. It was like, they're, they're considered like almost nothing, like, like hot air. Like the, they're, they're compared to like just a simple aroma in comparison to the mitzvahs we do today. And why is that? There's a famous medrash that explains that there, it explains the, the analogy that there was once a, a huge mountain. On the top of the mountain, there was a city. On the bottom of the mountain, there was a city. And there was this rule that those that lived on the top of the mountain cannot go down to the bottom. Those that live on the bottom of the mountain cannot go up. And then one day the king decided that's it. Everyone can intermingle. The people on top can come to the bottom and the people on the bottom can go to the top. And the message says that before the giving of the Torah, there was, there was a split between the divine and the physical. The two could not mix. If when Avraham Avinu did a mitzvah with a physical object, this physical object did not become holy, did not become divine. Today, when a Jew, even the simplest Jew, a young little kid, barely 13 years old, takes a pair of tefillin and wears them and does a mitzvah, this tefillin becomes divine and holy. Avraham Avinu did not have tefillin. He did not have a holy object like tefillin. Why? Because in his time, before the giving of the Torah, it was impossible to bring divinity into the physical world, into physical objects. So a child wearing tefillin after the giving of the Torah has a tremendous, uh, has a, a tremendous advantage over Avraham Avinu. Right? I mean, 
the fact the fact is that he is able to bring divinity into the physical object, and Avram Avinu could not. However, however, and I'm, don't think that you're greater than Avram. In fact, our sage is saying, we'll see this in a few paragraphs, I'm just giving like the basic idea before we go into the Abba's words. Don't, don't start to think, oh, I'm a big guy and Avram is lower than me. No, 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 no. Even though you're right, Avram could not bring the divine into the physical object, but specifically, the mitzvahs that Avram did, they were like the, the, the signposts. They were the, I say, the, the trailblazers that made it possible for us to reach Matan Torah and to be able to do this tremendous thing of bringing the divine, bringing godliness into the physical world. So Avram, even though the fact is he did not bring godliness into the physical world, into physical objects, but the mitzvahs that he did, they were the ones that led the way. They were the ones that made it possible for us to reach this milestone, for us to reach this uh, this level that we are able to do it. So now let's see how this plays out. So uh, page 10, to the top. To understand this, we need to preface a Hasidic explanation regarding the difference between the mitzvot our forefathers observed before the giving of the Torah and the mitzvahs we observe today after the giving of the Torah. Patriarchs observed mitzvahs in the spiritual sense. The Alter Rebbe proves this in Torah Er, which is a, a very important book of the Alter Rebbe's uh, Hasidic uh, teachings. So there's the Tanya, which the Alter Rebbe wrote. But in addition to the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe would teach Hasidus quite regularly. And these, uh, these, um, these dissertations, these maimorim, these discourses, were transcribed uh, by his brothers, by his sons, by other Hasidim, and uh, and they were, they were published in various different works. So one of them is Torah Er. So the Alter Rebbe proves this in Torah Er from the fact that there are a number of mitzvot that could not be performed in the physical sense during the era of the patriarchs. For example, the mitzvah of tefillin, it was impossible to do it. Why? The passages included inside the tefillin discuss the exodus from Egypt, and during the era of the patriarchs, the exodus hadn't happened yet. If the Tefillin would have chapters of creation, so then you could argue and say that Abraham already had these stories, these chapters of the Torah, and then that's what he had in his Tefillin. But the, the chapters that are in our Tefillin are talking about Yitziat Mitzrayim, the Exodus from Egypt. How, how could Abraham have chapters in his Tefillin of, of, of such stories that never happened? They're going to happen in the future. So he definitely didn't have the same Tefillin that we have. Not only that, even if he would have the same Tefillin, it would not have the same, his Tefillin would not be holy like ours. They wouldn't be divine. You have to also realize the reason why when I put on tefillin, the tefillin become holy is not because of me, per se. It's not because I'm such a special person. It's because God determined that if a Jew is going to wear a leather box specifically in this way and make a blessing, it's going to become holy. It's a, it's a divine thing. It's not something that we do on our own, that we, are, that we have the power to, uh, to make happen. It, it's a it's a it's a God's it's God's decision that this is how it should work. That's why the one who defines whether it's fulfilling or not is God. You have to look at the code of Jewish law and see is it according to law or not. Um so Avram was not able to do that, even though Avram was such a special person. He wasn't able to do it. However, the acts of our forefathers was a sign and an empowering force for the service of the children after the giving of the Torah. 
the power of mitzvot after the giving of the Torah to refine and sanctify physical items is drawn from the acts of the forefathers. The only reason why today after the giving of the Torah we are able to bring divine energy, we're able to bring God into physical objects is only because before us, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they also did mitzvahs. And because they did mitzvahs, in their way, that's why we could do mitzvahs today. Now, there's something that we have. So now, one sec. So, so, so how did they do mitzvahs exactly? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are patriarchs. were spiritual giants. As we said, they, they, they interacted with angels, no problem, right? In fact, even their maidservants interacted with angels. They had no issue with it. There's a whole story. I'm, I'm not going to get into the details, but there's a whole story about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Um, it, it's, it's a beautiful story. But the point is that, that at one point uh, he needed to go to Rome to take care of a certain decree. And on the way, he saw like a demon accompanying him. And the demon told him that he's there to help. Uh, he ended up helping him with the, with the, with the emperor. But Avram, uh, um, but Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai started to cry. So the student asked him, why are you crying? So he said like this. He said, the maidservant of Avram Avinu saw four angels, just like that. Boom, boom, boom. And me, what do I see? A <laughs> that, that's the most I'm able to get to this, to this uh, spiritual reality in order to see the spiritual world. You're talking about Avram Avinu. These were, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were spiritual giants. And they did mitzvahs. And because they did mitzvahs, that's why we can do mitzvahs today. <clears throat> However, you have to realize something. When we do mitzvahs today, what is the most important part of the mitzvah? What would you say is the most important part of the mitzvah? Let's say, for example, when it comes to the mitzvah of tefillin, right? What is the most important thing? The actual physical box of the tefillin, that it should be physically kosher? Or that the person putting on the tefillin should have the right mindset. The physical. Very good. The physical is really all that matters. And obviously, having the right mindset is a plus, and having an even better mindset is a better plus. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the physical object, you're not going to do the mitzvah. And how is the mitzvah done with the physical object? And therefore, if you encounter a Jew that doesn't even know what tefillin is, and you convince them to actually wrap the tefillin on their arm and on their head, they did the mitzvah. Just like you did the mitzvah. Avram Avinu, how did he do the mitzvah of tefillin? It would seem that he did it only in a spiritual sense. If he only did it in a spiritual sense, then there would be no connection between Avram's mitzvahs and our mitzvahs. There would be two different worlds that have no connection to each other. Therefore, it was so important that Avram Avinu, when he did a mitzvah, that he should do it with physical objects. Now, it wasn't really relevant, the details of the physical object. Why? Because his main service was a spiritual service. But that spiritual service had to be anchored in physicality in order that generations later, once they come to, once they come to Sinai, the Jewish people should have the power to bring godliness into the physical world, into physical objects. Which means, which means, Halachically speaking, before the giving of the Torah, there was no such thing as mitzvahs, so to speak. Halachically speaking, legally speaking, 
Mitzvahs only started after the giving of the Torah. However, the impact of a mitzvah, the fact that you're able to bring God into the physical, is only possible because Avram also did mitzvahs. But he was doing mitzvahs on a spiritual level. But in order for those spiritual mitzvahs to have an impact on our mitzvahs today, they had to be connected somewhat to the physical, to, to, to something physical. Okay? So, for example, Yaakov, he had a whole story with, with, with the sticks. Remember the story with the sticks? When he, when, he, when he got the sheep and he wanted them to mate and that they should have they should have uh, children, they should have uh, they should give birth to children that, that are spotted or brown, etc. It's a whole long story over there. But he did a whole trick, a mating trick with, with sticks, maklos. And the Zohar tells us that this whole trick that Yaakov was doing, he was actually doing the mitzvah of tefillin. I mean, you're kidding me? Wooden sticks and tefillin, what's the connection? And the answer is Yaakov was putting on tefillin in a spiritual sense, but it had to have some type of physical relationship to the physical. And so he was using sticks. Sticks are physical. So the same thing is here with Avram. What was Avram's big mitzvah? Avram's big mitzvah was hachnasat or achim, welcoming guests. When you welcome a guest into your home today and you're doing a mitzvah, you're bringing God into the food, into the table, into everything that goes into hachnasat or achim. But you know why you're able to bring God into that hachnasat or achim? Because way before the giving of the Torah, Avram Avinu was also doing hachnasat or achim. But you know what was the main part of his welcoming the guests? It was a spiritual service. Now, he couldn't welcome angels because then it would have no connection to the physical world. The angels had to come in the guise of people. And then Avram had to give those people food. At the end of the day, they weren't eating the food. But that, it's irrelevant. Because for Avram, in order for Avram to do a mitzvah, the, the physical details are not really relevant. It had to be connected to physicality. He had to give food. If angels would walk through his door, Avram would not give them food. You don't give food to angels. But because they came in the guise of men, and Avram, in the way he saw them, registered that they need to eat, and he gave them food, that's a mitzvah. That's a full-fledged mitzvah. Right? Let's see it in the Rebbe's words. Page 11. Based on the above, even though Abraham's guests were actually angels, nothing was lacking from Avram's fulfillment of the mitzvah of hospitality. While Avram's hospitality had to be performed physically, why does it have to be done physically in order to empower us in our observance of hospitality after the giving of the Torah? This is only necessary for Avram's actions. If angels would come to Avram, how would Avram host them? By speaking to them Torah, right? If that's what he would do, that, that if someone comes to your house and he's hungry, if you teach them Torah when they're hungry, you're not doing a mitzvah, okay? If someone walks in and he's hungry, feed them. You want to teach them also Torah? That's great. But the mitzvah of Achnasat Rechim is not to teach Torah to a hungry person. The mitzvah of Achnasat Rechim is someone's hungry, you feed them. Avram Avinu, if he would learn Torah with spiritual angels, that would have no connection to our Achnasat Rechim today. But because he didn't teach them Torah, he brought them food because he registered them as people, he was doing the mitzvah. And the mitzvah that he was doing was already connected to the Achnasat Rechim that we have to do today. <clears throat> the issue of what exactly happened with the food after Avram did his part physically and spiritually, meaning whether or not the guests actually used it, is unimportant. That's, that's, that's irrelevant to the issue. That's irrelevant to Avram's mitzvah. Although the guests were in fact angels, they appeared to Abraham in the guise of humans. This aroused this trait of kindness and hospitality. 
and he performed the physical actions of slaughtering animals, etc. Therefore, there was nothing missing in Abraham's hospitality, which was supposed to empower his descendants, because from his end, it was performed in the physical sense. Um, page 12. Avram's hospitality also had a universal element, showing the entire world how to act with kindness. This too was complete because the angels appeared as people and the world perceived them as such and even saw them as if they were eating. It's a very important point here that I was making. So it wasn't just this show in order that Avram should be a nice guy and give it to them. Avram, while he was hosting these guests, he was actually uh, uh, he, he was actually being a, 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 a true um, example to others. What were others seeing? People that were observing Avram, what did they see? Avram serving physical guests. If you know the backstory, you're so smart, they're able to learn the Torah, the Torah tells us they're a malach, they're, they're angels, right? But at the moment when Avram is doing this act, not only is he doing the mitzvah in his own part in a physical sense, he's also being an example to others, also in a physical sense. So the Rebbe concludes, as a result, Avram asking God to wait while he tends to his guest wasn't an inadvertent error, God forbid. It was a fully justified action because the hospitality on his end was complete. And he was therefore legally required to defer receiving the divine presence because hosting guests is greater than receiving the divine presence. And so, so here we learn a very fascinating concept of, of, first of all, our relationship to Avram. Even though Avram was a spiritual giant, Avram, no one could be compared to Avram. But everything that Avram was doing was in order to empower us to do mitzvahs today. And so every time that we do a mitzvah, we are bringing, in other words, we are bringing to fruition Avram's mission. All of Avram's mitzvahs was for the future. It was for me, for you, for each and every one of us. So that we should do mitzvahs as well. How do I know that it was all about the future? Because at the time, at the during Avram Avinu's lifetime, Technically speaking, there was no reason for Avram to do a mitzvah with physical objects because he wasn't, he wasn't doing anything with them. He wasn't helping them at all. All of the mitzvahs were basically all spiritual energies that were being dealt with. It was a spiritual service. But Avram wanted that that spiritual service should serve as, a, it should be a trailblazer. It should serve as an inspiration for us after Matan Torah, after the giving of the Torah. And therefore, Avram did all of his mitzvahs. He did it connected with some type of physical action, some type of physical object. And he did that in order to, in order that there should be a relationship between his spiritual mitzvahs and our physical mitzvahs. And we, we should value that. We should appreciate that. We should know that every time that we do a mitzvah, it's connected to the original mitzvah man, connected to Avram Avinu. And uh, that's it for today. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much, Rabbi. I appreciate Thank you, Rabbi. It. Pleasure. Thank you all.